church, and I'll be bringing you God's word this morning. I just want you to know I do consider this quite a privilege. Um, so I'm hoping to have some fun with you all this morning. It's a blessing to be able to deliver God's word. It really is. And um, I want you to know that before I give you the message that was given to me, um, that I looked at all the names on the membership roster and looking at some of those people that attend and all those who are committed to being members, and I prayed over your names. So I just want you to know that I'm really, really um, praying that uh, God will use these words this morning to really bless you. Thank you. So um, let's bow for a quick second. Father, thank you again just for what you've given me. And I just pray that all hearts and minds are ready to receive your word. And thank you again just for your grace and mercy. Um, I give your word this morning with fear and trembling and respect and reverence. And I just thank you again for picking me for this moment in time. Amen. So before I go too deep into this message, um, I do want to personally thank my dear wife of 23 years and my kids, uh, Justin and Candace, who didn't want her name called. <laughs> and uh, also, I just want to thank um, the pastors here at the church and my brother elders and those special friends that I sort of called on to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be doing something. I don't know what's going to come out, but thank you for praying for me. I really appreciate that. And finally, I just want to thank the Lord and praise him because what he gave me, I really believe that he wants you to hear. He planted this message in my heart, and by his grace, it's going to proceed from these lips. So this morning, we're going to talk about unity in the family. Um, so you might ask, why is this topic important, and why did he choose this topic? I have to tell you that it's just no surprise that we wake up in the morning, and in our daily lives, we see on the news, and we have discussions with our family members, we see everything going on, on TV, um, in Facebook, just conflict among our countries, neighboring countries and our allies, senseless murders and crimes in the city and suburbs, tragic events such as shootings uh, driven by hate, ungodly use of race and ethnic group names, and tons of political rhetoric from all political parties, especially the two major parties. We hear so many other things, sometimes other than God's voice, uh, and sometimes we're just afraid to talk about it. We're hesitant. It's difficult to talk about it. It's difficult to talk about it in church. It's difficult to talk about it at the dinner table. But if we don't talk about it, it stays in and it begins to fester, like a disease is waiting to come out one day. And of course, of course, for those of you who are Christ followers and know the word, you're giving Satan a foothold. So that's not appropriate. But let's admit it. It does get extremely, extremely hard and difficult. We just don't, most of the time, we don't even have credible uh, facts to have a good conversation with family and friends or coworkers. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in these situations where we're struggling to get our body language right. We're struggling to get the right words. I work in the university, and I'm always struggling for the right words because I see so much ungodliness there, but I'm glad to be there at salt. And then there's so much that we have to do in terms of getting our inflections right. But I will tell you, I get it. We all get it, and God gets it too. 
And so today's message is really going to be talking about unity in the family, and it's lifted right out of his word. He understands that today's challenging issues can lead to disunity when they're not appropriately dealt with. So let's talk about what we're going to really talk about. So we're going to look at why unity in the family is important. So for those of you who like to take notes, who like to write things down, like I do occasionally, we're going to talk about why unity in the family is important. We're going to look at some families and discuss their attributes of unity. Then we're going to consider the biblical model of a family. And finally, we're going to apply some biblical principles that seek to maintain uh, unity in the family. So just a quick question. Uh, what are some of the images that just come to your mind when you think of the word family? So I know you're sleepy and you know, we don't normally talk out, but just a quick second, what are some of the images that come to mind when you think of family? Husbands, wives, kids. Dinner. Din dinner. <laughs> yes, love in spite of differences, friends, dinner, amen. All those things come to mind. So some of us uh, may think about families that we know from school. Um, for me, I tend to think about families that I see on the popular TV shows. I tell you what, we're going to pause for a minute and see if you can recognize some of these families. Now keep in mind, uh, I have a little disclaimer. Uh, there are families on here that we see on TV. I don't support TV, and this is not the position of the church to say, watch TV and look at these families. <laughs> but regardless, in popular culture, uh, the images I'm about to show you are what people really think and define our family. So let's just play a little game here and to see if you can recognize. So when I put them up on the screen, feel free to shout out. If you, if you don't know the family name, just um, the TV show would be appropriate. Okay. Recognize these people? The Ingalls, I think? The Wilders? Oh, Laura Ingalls was with girl kids. Told you I messed up the first one. I put the slides in there. <laughs> All right, so we got that. I guess I'm dating myself there. What about these people? Yes, 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 the family. My favorite uh, was and still is Alice. <laughs> Alice was the family member by default. She cooked, all right? I'm not going to talk about the other family member, but Alice was just the bomb. So, okay. I had to put the title because I said no one's going to know who they are. You do? Okay. <laughs> All right, so in my house, right after the Brady Bunch, the Partridge family came on, and that's when the TV sort of went off. <laughs> I like the Partridge family, but my, you know, I had three older siblings, and so it's like, off it goes. And I'm like, no, the Partridge going to play the songs. But I like the bus and everything. They were just cool. This family, the Andersons, okay, we know them pretty well. Interesting show. <laughs> Oh, what about this family? It's a family. <laughs> it is a family. So the green guy in the corner, I mean, we've been friends since childhood. Once you get to know him, he's actually a pretty nice guy. He has just a little attitude problem. Just a little. But he really is a very sensitive guy. I really like him. Ah, mama's family. Okay, so we watched way too much TV here. Yeah, it's, 
I was expecting a little bit of silence. Okay. Ah, this family? Yeah. So, I don't know their last names, but yeah, this is us. So, and we're going to get a few more here. Good night, John boy. <laughs> Come on, I waited for that. Right? That was the whole, the watching the Waltons. I don't remember what they were doing in there, but just the good night part was classic for me. And good times. We know. <laughs> would not be complete without Florida Evans. <laughs> All right, just a couple of more here. We're going to wrap it up. Lopez? Come on, George Lopez. Uh, my good little friend there. Right, family matters. Ah, you remember this one? Dr. Kim. Come on, don't leave me out there by myself. Okay, Dr. Kim. All right. What about this family? Ah, so we recognize this family, huh? That's right. That's right. Yeah, thank you. All the Christmas cards, you better recognize this family. And we're in church, though. We're taking names of those who don't. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? So you've seen some examples of family um, and what popular culture says a definition of a family, what they look like. And you've even watched these shows, admittedly so, like I have, and you can just see some things that are just not kosher. Like, that is not how a family is supposed to behave. But, you know, sometimes the shows are fun. They're fun. But unfortunately, they tend to define what a family uh, should look like and what a family should be. So let's begin by actually answering the question, what is a family? And how does God actually define a family? Um, I, I believe that out of all the photos, and I'm sure you would agree with me, that the last one God would agree with <laughs> would be the healthy view of the family. Um, we know that Mary was obedient. And so was Joseph, because he married her, even after the discovery that she was pregnant. I believe that that would be the model family he would want us to follow. God does not subscribe to what modern culture says about a family and how it should look or function. But what we do find in the Bible is that he compares the family to one important organization. And it's mentioned over a hundred times throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible. Um, one example of that is through the ministry of Paul. He compares the family to the church or body of believers. That's us, the church. So the word church is translated from the Greek term, let's see if I can get this right, ecclesia, which is formed from two Greek words, meaning an assembly and to call out or to be the called out ones. The church is a body of believers that has been called out from the world by God to live as his people under the authority of Jesus Christ. So if you're wondering where that is, that's Ephesians 1, uh, 22 to 23. It's not on your screen. But the Bible clearly says that God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, that's a powerful, powerful image of family, right? God at the head, that's totally, totally amazing when you sit there and just marinate and think about it. Hmm. So our key verse 
for the day that's on the screen there is Romans 12, uh, verses 4 through 5. And it reads, So in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all others. Didn't want you to stand up for that short scripture. But actually what's happening there, the scriptures are making reference to serving Christ with all the unique gifts that he's given us. However, it just resonated with me, and I just remember that one as a child about really wanting to belong someplace and, and really trying to feel like I was important. What is clear here in, in these uh, words that God gave us is that we all bring something unique, and we all are uh, as equally important as other members of the body. So now hold on to that thought while we take another little roller coaster ride here. So another comparison is of, of the family is found in systematic theology. I don't know if you guys have this book. I know it's kind of old hat for most of us, but I love this book. It's this thick, and I should have brought mine, but you know, it's really cumbersome to carry. It's this thick. It's a blue book. It's by Wayne Grudem. And he explains, among other things, how Paul views the family. Uh, for example, he says that Timothy, he tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, rather, to act as if all church members were members of a larger family. And the reference for that is in 1 Timothy 5, 1, 1 to 2. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. That means treat them like they're your relatives, your uncles, your aunts, your cousins. Love them and respect them. That's what family's supposed to do. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's how we function in love and unity. Another example is uh, when Paul uh, refers to the church as the bride of Christ. He says that the relationship between a husband and wife refers to Christ and the church. That's Ephesians 5.32. If you're writing it down, I'll let you go back and hit that yourself. He says that he brought about the engagement between Christ and the church at Corinth and that it resembles an engagement between a bride and her soon-to-be husband. So here Paul is looking forward to a time of Christ's returns, return as a time when the church would be presented to him as a bride. Again, some more amazing imagery of the family and of the church. A marriage is a covenant. That means living water community church. We are a family of believers who have made a commitment, a covenant with other members, a covenant with the Lord Almighty himself. And we will one day be presented to him like a bride. That's a whole lot to take in. And we need to be getting ready for this wedding. Are you prepared for this wedding? There's a wedding that's coming up. Let me just ask a quick question. Anybody in here get married recently? Anybody? Anybody going to get married soon? <laughs> Maybe you don't know what God has for you around the corner. But I will tell you this. If you did get married recently, like most people I know, they had to prepare. You had to choose a location, a venue, reception, flowers, the cake, dresses, tuxedos, mail off the invitations, and make plans for how you're going to ensure that all the new in-laws get along with one another. 
you know, you're giving those little background speeches and late night phone calls, don't do this, and please don't turn around and look at them this way, those sort of things. So I'm sure it was a busy time for those who recently had to plan for this, and maybe the planning probably took at least a year to finalize. March 30th, 1996. See, I remember the date. <laughs> I remember hearing a famous wedding march, uh, the song, and then the doors, you know, they just swing open and it's like the air just sort of sucks out and you're trying to stand there. It's just whoosh. And there she was. There was a beautiful bride named Robin looking straight at me. I could not believe I was finally receiving my bride. I just couldn't believe it. Nor could I believe how slowly her father was walking down the aisle. <laughs> I wondered if I needed to just jump off and maybe meet them halfway. Because I'm thinking, you know, with those tuxedos, and your feet are hurting, you're trying to be cool, but it's really difficult to stand there all that time. But I just kept thinking about how pretty she was how adorned she was, and she was ready to meet her groom. And suddenly, all of a sudden, you know, my brain is some other place, and I'm just going, oh, and these hands get placed into my hands. And then all of a sudden, we were prepared to say our wedding vows and make a covenant before God. Are we getting ready for our wedding? Are we? Are we taking advantage of all the years that we have to plan? Maybe our time is less than a few years. We're not talking about the wedding that I had, but our wedding. Are we really getting ready for that? Who knows when the Lord is going to return and when maybe some of us will be called home. Maybe all of us will be called home. Aren't we family? Have we done all we need to do to honor our covenant with God? Let's take a closer look. Let's discuss this covenant a little bit more with God and our purpose for the church family. So here's a nice little definition here that... The purpose of the church is threefold. The church comes together or it assembles for the purpose of bringing each member into spiritual maturity. That's Ephesians 4.13. The church reaches out to spread the gospel, to spread the love of Christ. And just in case you're wondering, that's the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28, okay, verses 18 to 20. That's the purpose of the church, to go out into the world and make disciples. So the purpose is to minister to believers and unbelievers. That's everybody. Believers in the church, unbelievers in the church, believers outside the church, believers, unbelievers outside the church. That's everybody. God says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, that you are the body of Christ. Each one of you are a part of it. So the supreme purpose of the church is to love and worship God through Jesus Christ and make him known throughout the world. So that's kind of the purpose of church there. Let's go a little bit further into family, purpose, purpose of the family. So why does the family exist? Why such a unit at all? The family exists to reflect God's love and God's character. It provides a safe place where all of us really as family members can experience God's love and learn how to serve other people. So even Christ himself was born. And, and you saw earlier, he was born into a family, in the context of family, God in the flesh, that is. The, you know, the little Christmas card picture imagery there. He submitted to an earthly mom and dad. 
um, into a model of what it means to honor parents and to benefit from their loving direction. According to the book of Luke, which Luke 2.52, if you want to reference that, um, it is within the nurturing care of his earthly family that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a secret. It's in the Bible. The words are all there. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you clearly are one of his children, without a doubt. And by default, by default, you are a member of the church. Maybe not necessarily here, but the church outside these walls. You are a member of God's church, of God's family. You have a family. You belong to Christ. And I know that some of us tend to doubt this sometimes. We get into that dark area, dark period of our lives, and we struggle with depression and whatever else that may sort of pop up around. But we struggle with, do we really belong to a family? I have no one. I'm all by myself. Parents are gone. I don't have a sibling, don't have a wife. Just got this bird chirping all day in the cage. Not necessarily funny there, but you have a family. Do you get what I'm saying this morning? You belong to someone supreme if you are a child of God. You got to hold on to that. There's more evidence and some more scriptures um, for your roller coaster ride here about you belonging to a family. I want you to kind of the, remember these, jot them down, and go back to them later. But John chapter 1, verse 12 said, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay? 1 John 3, 1 to 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being, let's see, being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure of being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You want some more? Sure. <laughs> Galatians chapter 6, 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 1 Corinthians. There's plenty there. If I found it, you can find it too. There's plenty there. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Romans chapter 12, our key scriptures, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And, of course, I got happy with the Ephesians. I listed it twice. So we won't have to read that one. But if you need more convincing, I'll stop at this last and final one, Ephesians 1, 
verse 5. Here is where I find hope in life. Throughout my life, I doubted a lot about who I was and who I belonged to. But the beauty of God is that he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, he predestined us. He chose us to be a part of his family. Is that not enough? Before someone thought about you, before you became a human being and your brain evolved, over, not evolved, developed over time, and you start figuring out who you were, God had already thought about it. He's already defined you. He knows you by name. He knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden in secret. You belong to God's family. You belong to the church. You've got to make that commitment, though, if you have not invited him to be your personal Savior and Lord. That's if you don't know that already, okay? So lastly, we'll look at the biblical model of family. So I think I've given you enough scriptures there. I think now we're finally convinced, right? that uh, we as a church are a family and that we are a church. We as a church are in covenant with God. So what should be our MO here? What should be our mode of operating here? How should we function and operate given the fact that we have so many differences? What should be our model for a church and what should it look like? We have so many gifts and talents, talents here at church. We have so many desires goals, everything that people want to do, so much floating around in terms of ideas. We also have uh, many racial and ethnic groups represented here in church. So what do we do with all this mixture of such wonderful things? We clearly have some unique opportunities here, and I'm proud to say that we're doing quite a bit. Okay. We have some people here with some amazing skills and some amazing talents. And can you imagine just the impact on the community and the church? if a few more people with those hidden skills and talents step up and do something, help us a little bit, live that full, abundant life. It's not about begging you to do anything here. It's about trying to bring the best out in you because we're family, we're covenant, we love you, we want to see you do your best serving God. Wouldn't that be amazing if you just saw more people just sort of come forward with all their gifts and talents? We have an obligation in our church body to help one another, to live the abundant life that Christ calls us to live. Not through material gain, please. Not through material gain. I admit, I like stuff, I like things, and that's a problem. It is. But we, who doesn't? Who doesn't? And that's not what I'm talking about at all. Not material gain. But through the gaining of knowledge of him, of who he is, and drawing closer to him, getting deeper into his word, growing and working out our salvation. Let me just show you something else here. Oops, here we go. What you have on screen there, you have our discipleship groups. Pastor Mike uh, briefly talked about this this morning. We have 31 disciple groups on the camp. Oh, not a campus, on church. <laughs> and we have at least 12 Bible study groups. 16 community groups, three venture groups, and six support groups. That's a lot. Are you in one of those? There are numerous opportunities to serve. There are numerous opportunities to be discipled. There are numerous opportunities to move forward 
and finding out who you are in Christ Jesus and finding your place and just growing together as a family. And let's consider our racial and ethnic diversity for a minute. I'm not going to hit you with all the stats there. You can see on the screen that we have a pretty good mix. And don't feel bad if you don't see your group represented up there. Those are just the key ones. I'm a state guy. I do state definitions, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, certainly, when you look at the demographics of this church, there's more uh, racial and ethnic groups that can certainly be broken out a little bit. But these are the predominant ones. Okay. So we have a unique opportunity uh, to reach people like we've never uh, done before. We have diversity represented here at church in our praise and our worship and our leadership. And I truly believe it's God's will that we be a diverse church and we are one. But we have to remember that in being a diverse church, we have to welcome healthy and godly conversation. People in our church and in our community have to see that we're genuinely in love with one another and we care for one another. And I believe we're doing that. So it's okay to openly discuss and address issues of race and ethnicity. This church has done a very good job of that in the past. A very good job of that. You've seen some Sunday events where we had the, the dialogue and you sit in the audience and someone tells a story. And there have been other examples that uh, preceded me. But there is always a case in every family room for continued opportunities to influence and touch people's lives. I personally know of some people, some black, some Hispanic, some white, and at least one Asian who are hurting and not sure how to get past past hurts. How to get past past hurts. How to get those addressed. So as a church member, you may not know how to address those past hurts, and you might even say you're not responsible for those past hurts, but you should be able to show them love and kindness by building a relationship with them so that the healing can begin. After all, that member is your brother or sister, right? Your aunt or uncle, your mother or your father, right? So if you look away from that church member because you just don't know, you might as well look away from Christ. It is simply a sin to look the other direction and not address it. There's just no other way to say it. And that's not me. I'm saying that to you in love. That's the Bible. You're in covenant with God. You're in covenant with your members here at church. So then what is our model for this church? It's this. Just understand that you're a church member. You made a covenant. Come on with me, y'all. Just don't doubt me. I felt that. <gasps> We're in this together, right? This is God's word. This is, I'm not making this up. This is not me. This is not my personality trying to give you some good words and make you feel good. We're in this together, guys. So our model is this. Understand that as a church member, you made a covenant not only with God, but you made a covenant with the church uh, body. Let me show you something here. What does that look like? Looks familiar? That's your membership covenant. Actually, this one is the reaffirmation uh, form that you sign. I know some of you are still working on getting those in. Amen. We appreciate it if you finish those. But it's your membership covenant. And this is what it says. Having received Christ as my Lord and Savior and being in agreement with living waters, 
statement of faith, vision, value, strategy, constitution, and bylaws, I recommit myself to God and to the other members by agreeing to do the following. Number one, what does it say? I will, I will take ownership of my role at Living Water Community Church by doing what? Protecting its unity. By acting in a loving manner towards others, by refusing to participate in gossip or slander, by dealing with conflict, concerns in a biblical manner, and by submitting to the authority of church leadership. Number two, I will share the responsibility of caring for others by praying for people's needs and growth, by inviting others to worship services and outreach events, and by warmly welcoming guests and new attendees. Number three, I will serve and support the mission of Living Water by discovering my gifts and talents, by developing a servant's heart, by being equipped to serve the leadership, by the leadership and fellow members, and by actively serving in the ministry of the church within the community or both. That's a whole lot to unpack there, right? That's what you committed to when you signed it. So please, find a way to honor the commitment. My dear family member, this is your church covenant. You signed it. So this text is lifted right from the form. You have committed yourself to loving and keeping peace and unity within the church body. This is our model right here at, MO, uh, at uh, Living Water. This is our MO here. Remember I asked you, I said, what should be our mode of operating? This is it. This is it. All right, so now that I've sort of slapped you around a little bit, let's uh, talk about some application of biblical principles here. So God gave some clear commands for each family member. And when we defy those commands, conflict and division is likely to fester. I said that earlier as I began my remarks. You see, God designed the family to be a place where every member feels loved, valued, where differences can be acknowledged and respected, and where conflicts are peacefully resolved. Through dealing with family and conflict, we can learn humility, listen carefully, kindness, patience, and selfless love, traits that will benefit all of us as we interact with our brothers and sisters in the family of God. Again, not making this up. These are God's words. Do this sound familiar? Try Galatians 5.22. Fruits of the Spirit. That's what they're known as. Just in case you're wondering, I encourage you to look at those again. Fruits of the Spirit. So here's some more application of the biblical principles. If we are to continue to have a strong church that is healthy, open to community, and one that truly serves God, we would have to be open to a process of continuous assessment. Did you know that God does assessment and evaluation? He does formal evaluation. I'll give an example. I'm not stretching. I'm not making something though it sounds. This is really cool as reading this. I say, wow, that's, just, that's a good example. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, without going through all the verses, that's the first book of the Bible, right? So he created everything. And when it was all done, what did he say? It's good. So that means he made it, and he took a moment to look at everything. He said, wow, it's good. He looked at the whole process. He evaluated his own work. 
And God even guides people in the Bible and even in the church today in the process of evaluation or self-reflection. I got one more example for you, and this is John chapter 8, verses 1 through 59. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read it. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So sounds familiar, right? You know the story. So what did they do? They made her stand there before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to do something. He started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone at her. And then he stooped and he began to write again. What did he just do? He said, you're accusing this person of doing something wrong. Yes, she's wrong. Have you checked yourself yet? Did you check yourself? And one by one, the scripture goes on. It says they all kind of went away. Oh, just disappeared. And there she is just with Jesus all by herself. So Jesus calls the accuser standing around with this woman caught in sin to evaluate themselves. And they did. Now I have to tell you, this is also one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I used to try this every time I got in trouble with my mom. I mean, I won't go into detail, but let's just say I got spankings. Okay? And I was the nicest kid out of my three older siblings. They're not here, so I can say that. And I didn't get in a lot of trouble, but man, when we got a spanking, we got a spanking. And I used to say, Ma, he's without sin. Let them cast the first stone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she took it very well. <laughs> so nonetheless, it didn't work, and I still got in trouble. Lots of trouble. So I bring those points to you because um, it speaks to me directly. I work in higher education, and I'm responsible for tons of state and federal reporting, but even more importantly, accreditation. So accreditation means that you have been evaluated against a set of standards, uh, and those standards have been predetermined. So what happens there, you have to provide evidence and artifacts showing uh, the accreditors that you've met those standards. And I'm one of those people that usually is a part of a site team. Sometimes I chair the team, sometimes I'm just one of the team writers to write these reports. And one of my favorite standards is um, one called institutional effectiveness and assessment. If you don't meet this standard, I'll write you up. You immediately have to address this issue within a certain time period. And it's set and is determined by the accrediting body or myself. I can say I need this back tomorrow. Depends on how they treat you <laughs> at the school. So you make them work a little harder if you know they need to really tighten things up. And the goal at the end of the day is that everybody will be accredited. We don't want to ruin kids' education, okay? But if you're not able to be responsive in addressing and, and meeting what um, eventually uh, 
could lead to some more trouble. If you're found out of compliance, then you leave me or you leave the accrediting body really no choice but to say, we're going to recommend the closure of your college or your university. Your school college is deemed ineffective and does not meet the standards. So your college either goes on warning or it gets shut down for not meeting the standards. And it's all over the news. It's in your local community, and in some cases, it's just a plain old national embarrassment. Students graduate with degrees that are now worthless, and professors leave that institution because they don't want to be associated with a university that does not evaluate itself or doesn't meet certain standards. So my fellow church members and family members, when is the last time you actually self-reflected on how well you are meeting God's standards? How well are you meeting the standards that are outlined in the church membership covenant that you signed? Are you helping your brothers and sisters to heal? Are you helping them to grow spiritually and become fully devoted followers of Christ? Are you helping with achieving unity in the body and the body beyond these church walls? Are you doing those things? If you're not sure, if you're uncertain, maybe it's time to evaluate yourself now. You may not know how to take the first steps, but, but I can help you with that. Now, the university's accreditation process provides no mercy or no grace. But thank God, we as a church family, we're not accountable to an accrediting body, right? But we are accountable to someone more powerful and stronger than an accrediting body. Our loving God provides more grace and more mercy than you can possibly imagine. And you also have to keep in mind as you, as you do this evaluation and as we do this collectively, that there is no one perfect church and no one's ever gonna meet all the standards perfectly. But we must strive to ensure that we produce evidence that we have a church family that is constantly experiencing spiritual growth and that we are having effective ministry. Unless God graciously intervenes to bring about change, we can easily not meet God's standards and eventually become weak and ineffective to the community. So let's get ready to go home here, folks. Um, here are just a few standards God says that we must do to be in compliance. So number one, when it comes to church covenant, ensure that you are the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and the one mind, that's Philippians 2.2. 2. Number two, remember there should be one flock and one shepherd. And that's John 10, 16. That means there's one church, one God, not one church and five gods or any God we feel like that day. Okay, we've got to have some strong doctrine here. Number three, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Number four, confess sin and help others to recognize and confess sin. And number five, know that a heart change is needed to deal with past hurts, especially those on race. The hurt is so deep and it worsens, especially if one is reminded of it on a daily basis with what they see in the news and all the social media outlets. And finally, number six, immerse yourself in the Bible. Don't worry if you don't know it all, if you don't understand it all. Keep at it. God will reveal himself to you in the Bible. When I was a little kid, um, 
my family didn't really go to church. So I had to sneak and read the Bible in the dark so I wouldn't be laughed at the next day. I really wanted that word. I didn't understand at all. But the older I got, God started revealing things to me, and I had mercy on my family. I stood out, and I recognized that I was being set apart for his purpose. He was calling and drawing me then. If you don't feel that nudge inside, you'll know it. Make sure you just immerse yourself in God's word. Read it. Don't give up. Read all of it. Not just the New Testament. Go on and get in there and hurt your head a little bit and get in the Old Testament. It's hurt. It's hurtful. I know it is painful. But amen, it all connects. It makes sense when you read all of it, not just the book of John. And I'm not making fun of anyone, but I'm saying stretch yourself out a little bit. The ultimate goal here is to point others to Christ and to help them prepare for that big wagon that I've been talking about. And the last thing I'll say before I close my little blue book here is that at this church, one statistic I didn't put up, um, we have about seven to 800 members that just sort of fly through the doors in a given weekend. And only about 250, 300 of us are actually members. I believe God is calling some of you to take that step for membership, to make that covenant, to move forward. And it's not about making Living Water a big, huge church, but what it is about is helping others to get to Christ. We have so much work to do. So much is going on. It's your obligation. You can't not do that. If you know God's word, you're obligated to share what he gave you. Obligated. It's not an option. So when I began this message, I indicated that I prayed for each and, one of you, each and every one of you by looking at your names. And I just want you to know that God is doing the same thing. He knows you. He loves you. So thank you for giving me some of your time. And, um, and I thank God for allowing me to be used as a member of this church that's in covenant with you. Amen. On your feet right now, let's sing this final song to our God.